Christian apologist and author Lee Strobel was once an award-winning journalist who set out to disprove Christianity. He joins us today to discuss Easter and the resurrection. And we'll ask theologian Daryl Buck how reliable is the resurrection account. Also, we'll take a look at Barack Obama's speech today regarding his pastor. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. I can no more disown him than I can disown the black community. I can no more disown him than I can disown my white grandmother. All right, that's Barack Obama today speaking definitively about his pastor, Reverend Wright. A major speech on race and religion and the presidency. We're going to listen to some more of those comments in just a few minutes. But this is the reality of the Resurrection Week here on Jerry Johnson Live. Tell us what's coming up, Penna. Well, Dr. Johnson, we do continue our special week of programming on the reality of Jesus. And today, it's a very special day with a couple of great interviews. First, we're going to interview Lee Strobel, who is the author of several best-selling books like The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, and very appropriately for this season, The Case for Easter. And as many people know, Lee Strobel started out as a skeptic, an atheist, and we're going to get his story later in the program. Also, Dr. Daryl Bach will join us in studio. Uh, He'll talk about the historical reliability of the resurrection account. We'll ask him questions about the witnesses. Are they reliable or how important to the Christian faith is the belief that Jesus rose from the dead? All of that today. All right, this is part of our special series, The Reality of the Resurrection, exclusively here on Jerry Johnson Live, KCBI. And uh, we're asking you to be a part of this. Email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Here's the question. What does the resurrection mean to you? We're taking folks from KCBI, KSYA, KCRN, Talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. What does the resurrection mean to you? We'll feature some of those responses later. But uh, I have one of the emails right here, Penn, and it just simply says freedom. The resurrection means freedom. We're going to talk about that again with Lee Strobel and Daryl Bach coming right up. But let's go back to Barack Obama. This is breaking news today. I'll set this up in that Barack Obama's pastor, Jeremiah Wright, um, of 20 years. He is retiring right now, in the process of retiring. But um, we have watched in the last few days video 
of very harsh language about America, about the white community, uh, about Hillary Clinton. Um, and Obama felt today like he had to address this in a major speech. Here's Barack Obama saying that Reverend Wright, for him, has been like family. He strengthened my faith, officiated my wedding, and baptized my children. Okay, so uh, Barack Obama is just, you know, letting us know this has been, this man has been his family pastor now for 20 years. And um, he went on then to distance himself, though, from some of these statements that Pastor Wright had made. Uh, Here is Obama again. The profound mistake of Reverend Wright's sermons is not that he spoke about racism in our society. It's that he spoke as if our society was static, as if no progress had been made. Okay, and so, uh, Penna, um, your thoughts on that. Is that really a good thing for Obama to say? Is is that correct? Well, you know, there was a lot good about the speech, but I thought, in a sense, he defended the pastor in in the whole speech. If you look at it as a whole, he defended the anger, and he talked about how there's a lot more that needs to be done about racism. And in a sense, if he disagreed with this pastor, you have to ask the question, why didn't he go to him? And t- if they're that close, go to him and sort of repudiate that. I mean, he's a high-profile person. He was in the state legislature in Illinois, and then uh, he's a senator. Now he's running for president. So I don't know. It doesn't show a lot of judgment, I don't think, to, to not think that some of this is going to come out. So I think, even though this was a good speech, I think this whole flap really hurts Barack Obama. Well, I do agree with your general assessment of the, the speech in total, but I do believe there's one point in this speech where not only does he say, you know, this was incendiary, uh, he's too critical, I don't agree with his political views, uh, there was a spot where he said, this is wrong, and I want us to listen to that. They weren't simply a religious leader's efforts to speak out against perceived injustice. Instead, they expressed a profoundly distorted view of this country, a view that sees white racism as endemic and that elevates what is wrong with America above all that we know is right with America, a view that sees the conflicts in the Middle East as rooted primarily in the actions of stalwart allies like Israel instead of emanating from the perverse and hateful ideologies of radical Islam. Okay, here I think Obama gets Mm -hmm. to the nub of the issue, and that is that uh, his pastor left the impression in those sound bites we've been hearing all week that America is the problem, Israel is the problem, we are to blame for 9-11, the Jews are to blame for 9-11, and I think Obama is clearly saying, I disagree in substance with those caricatures, uh, with those statements. And I think that, you know, that's going to help Obama. Um, Where he's in gray territory, I think, is um, Obama kind of want to have, wants to have it both both ways. ways. That is, he's he's willing to make that sort of a statement. But at other times, he's he's going light on this and uh, making excuses. Um, Here is a comment I did not get at all before the speech. There's a lot of shouting and hollering uh, and clapping and gospel. Uh, and so that w- what people may uh, think is some unusual anger 
being expressed is actually just uh, stylistic. Do you buy that, Penna? No, not at all. There are plenty of black churches that uh, praise the Lord in sort of overt ways, and they don't have this kind of vitriol coming out of the pulpit. So, uh, no, I don't buy this at all. No, we have Dr. Tony Evans, for instance, on this radio station on KCBI every night, and there's a lot of enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of laughter. A lot of fun. Great singing. It's a fun, great experience. And we've known many other black friends through the years who've had those kinds of ministries. This is fundamentally different. It's a different message. I thought the key word that Obama used there is there's a lot of gospel. Now, he may have meant gospel music. I don't know if he meant that, a gospel feel. Um, but, of course, we think of the gospel here as we think of it in the Bible, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But Obama said in an interview I saw earlier in the week, and we're going to get this sound later, but he said, Reverend Wright preaches the social gospel. He says, I know this. He preaches the social gospel. Now, what does he mean by that? He means a gospel about poverty, a gospel about the poor, a gospel about the oppressed. And when I saw Wright interviewed, Wright was challenging his interviewer, Sean Hannity, saying, have you read Black Theology, Liberation Theology, James Cone? He repeated that question again and again to Hannity and says, if you don't know liberation theology, you can't challenge me. If you've not read Cohn's work, you can't challenge me. And so we're going to do something on this program next week that you will not hear anywhere else, I guarantee it. And that is, we're going to go beyond the surface and see, why does this man, Reverend Wright, preach this way? It's about this liberation theology or black liberation theology James Cone, the primary um, uh, source there. And we're going to talk about liberation theology and what that means. We'll play some of Reverend Wright's sermon. We'll read some of Cone's theology. And we're going to critique it from a conservative, evangelical, biblical point of view. You do not want to miss this next week. We will go beyond the surface on this subject. And we'll talk about why a lot of people are not surprised to hear this at all if the man really is a liberation theologian. It is standard jargon for this group. Uh, There's one other Obama quote, though, I want to play. I wasn't familiar with some of the remarks that he had made. I had not been in church on those days. Do you buy that one? No, I don't buy it uh, because they're so high profile and because he's close to this pastor. Because he was in politics, he should be aware of what's coming out of it. And it's, it's such a major proportion of what comes out of that pulpit uh, that Barack Obama, that was just disingenuous to make. Larry, I want you to play that again. Would you go back and play that one more time? I wasn't familiar with some of the remarks that he had made. I had not been in church on those days. Now, look, either this man is too naive to be president or he's too dishonest to be president. There is no way he could be a member of that church for 20 years and not know that that pastor was making those kinds of statements regularly as a matter of course. There is no way you can say, this man married me, baptized my children, I'm a member here, I'm a regular attender. Uh, Even if you're gone for a month or two, you can't go to a church like that for 20 years. Uh, Again, this man, uh, Reverend Wright, gave the church's annual award to Louis Farrakhan just a year or two ago. He met with Muammar Gaddafi and Farrakhan on a trip to Libya just a year or two ago. Um, And there's a local aspect to this story, Penna, because Mm -hmm. TCU, Texas Christian University, right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area, was set to give 
this pastor an honorary award, <laughs> and now they're reconsidering it. What do you make of that? That's the Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth. And they say right now they're sticking with these plans to honor uh, Reverend Wright. Uh, but uh, I think there's some, you know, backtracking on it. You know, I want to mention one thing, Dr. Johnson, because some people are saying, well, you shouldn't be criticizing this guy's religion. But what we're looking for in Barack Obama is some clues to what the guy would be like. He's been very general about his statements uh, about change. And, uh, you know, what is that change? Well, if that change is moving us toward some of these positions that his pastor takes, the American people need to know about it. And I think that's really what this discussion has been about this week. Okay, so next week, folks, uh, you stay tuned. We'll give you the exact dates and the exact guests. But next week, we're going to look at black liberation theology from a biblical point of view. Is this a legitimate Christian option, or is this a heresy? We'll be talking about the theology behind Barack Obama's pastor's wild and outlandish statements. Penna, another news story today. Uh, Quickly, uh, I think this is going to continue to grow. We mentioned it yesterday. It's escalating now. That's China and Tibet. Give us the update. Well, you know, we were, I mean, I remember back when uh, the Beijing uh, Olympic, the Olympics were given to Beijing, and you worried about some of these things. You worried about air pollution. That hasn't been fixed. And you worried about uh, the dissidents being uh, allowed their freedom to speak. And you also worried about Tibet and the way that the Chinese government constantly cracks down on uh, the Dalai Lama and that religion. There's no religious freedom really in China. There's certain uh, Protestants and Catholics who are allowed to practice, but they have to practice in a way that the Chinese government says they do. Uh, there are Christians in prison in China. And of course, now uh, there's a lot of violence taking place in Tibet. And uh, Beijing is blaming the Dalai Lama for this. I think uh, D- the Dalai Lama and the, uh, the uh, Tibetans are taking this opportunity with the Olympics coming up to say, okay, you haven't given us your freedom. And here the whole world is going to be looking at you uh, in the Summer Olympics. So it's a, it's a good statement to be made, but there's a lot of violence taking place and people being killed. Looks like Steven Spielberg might have been right to boycott the Olympics several weeks ago. We'll return to this story in due time. But coming up next, what happens when a skeptical journalist tries to debunk Christianity and but comes out on the other side, the right side, not disproving but proving the resurrection. This is Jerry Johnson Live. We'll talk to Lee Strobel. Pennedexter's here with me. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. 
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Like one of those early disciples, let's run to that empty tomb and let's investigate. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pentadexter. We're talking about the reality of the resurrection this week. It's Holy Week, Easter Week, Resurrection Week. And how better to prepare for Resurrection Sunday than looking into the evidences for Jesus Christ, particularly the evidences for the resurrection. Our next guest is Lee Strobel. He's a graduate of Yale Law School. And for 14 years, he wrote for the Chicago Tribune. He's a best-selling author. He's written a book, The Case for Christ, also The Case for Easter. Lee, welcome to the program. Well, thanks, Jerry. Great to be on with you. Lee, uh, I want to back up to um, your faith journey Yes. because uh, you were not always a Christian, and right. you set out on a quest, and you didn't end up probably where you thought you would, <laughs> but it has something to do with Easter, and I'd like for you to talk yeah. about the role of the resurrection in that journey. Well, it was absolutely cr- uh, critical. Um, I was an atheist. My wife was an agnostic. Uh, she became a Christian through the influence of a friend who had taken her to church and answered her questions, and and I began to see positive changes in her character and values, and so that's what encouraged me to use my journalism training and legal training to begin to investigate the evidence for Christianity or any other faith system for that matter. And I realized very quickly that the resurrection really is the linchpin of the Christian faith. Uh, as the Apostle Paul said, if, if Christ has not been raised, your, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Uh, it was pretty clear to me early on that Jesus at least, made, at least made the claim that he was divine, that he was the Son of God. He at least made that claim. You can see that in the earliest written gospel, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, when he refers to himself as the Son of Man, uh, which, of course, is a reference to uh, Daniel chapter 7, in which uh, the Son of Man is, a, is not just a human being, but has divine characteristics. And uh, So uh, he made the claim, but anybody can claim to be divine. The question is, did he prove it? Did he back it up by returning from the dead? And so I realized that, you know, if he claimed to be the Son of God, he's got credibility if he indeed did return after three days in a tomb. So I, I realize that uh, the question of whether or not the resurrection is an actual historical event, the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, whether that is mythology, whether it's a legend, whether it's make-believe, whether it's wishful thinking, or whether it really is an historic reality. And so that's what I investigated for almost two years of my life and came away absolutely convinced that the resurrection is not a, a mythology, is, is not legend, is not make-believe or wishful thinking. It is an actual historical event that truly occurred and authenticated the claim of Jesus Christ to being the unique Son of God. Lee, this is Panna Dexter. It's fascinating to read the story in the case for Christ, how you went around for two years and talked to these biblical scholars and theologians. Can you tell us, like, sort of where in the process you actually began to believe that the claims of Christ uh, were true and perhaps also who helped you most with the resurrection? Well, uh, you know, uh, the claims of Christ and when I began to believe that it would be true, it was sort of a cumulative case. It, you know, over time, it's sort of like uh, having a scales, you know, and you start adding weight to one side, and pretty soon the, the scales begin to tip in that direction. Um, and as I uh, interview people and talk to people, um, as I research ancient history and archaeology um, and, and talk with scholars and so forth, 
it became pretty clear to me that the resurrection, even though I had rejected it as being a legend, um, really does have historical roots. Now, in my books, The Case for Christ and The Case for Easter, um, I retrace and expand upon that journey that I took so I could update it by interviewing uh, scholars. And, and the, the people I find most helpful are uh, Dr. Gary Habermas, uh, of course, of Liberty yes. University, who is an expert on the resurrection, Dr. William Lane Craig, uh, another great ex- expert, Dr. Uh, J.P. Moreland from Talbot Seminary. And uh, there's a medical doctor who's also an expert on um, forensics uh, and also has a Ph.D. in engineering um, by the name of Alexander Metherell, who's an expert on the crucifixion. And uh, that was a fascinating interview, yeah. Let me pick up on that uh, medical side of it, Lee, because uh, there are medical evidences for the resurrection. I mean, the fact that Jesus could have survived the cross, some people say that he could have. What about that? Yeah, absolutely absurd. I mean, nobody believed it then, nobody believes it now. (laughs) Um, You know, it's interesting, in terms of the death of Jesus on the cross, that he was truly dead, not only do we have multiple sources in the New Testament that confirm that, We've got five ancient sources outside the Bible that confirm it. We, you know, we have Josephus right there in the first century, the you know, Jewish um, historian who worked for the Romans. We've got Tacitus who confirms that Jesus was killed by crucifixion. Even the Jewish Talmud admits that Jesus died by cru- crucifixion. So, you know, that is one of the best attested facts of ancient history, that Jesus died by crucifixion. And, of course, when you read the Quran in Surah 4, verses 157 and 158, it says he didn't die on the cross, that, that he was not crucified. He did not uh, succumb to the rigors of crucifixion. And uh, I have a good Muslim friend, and I say, you know, gosh, let me tell you one reason I'm not a Muslim. I, you know, I, what have you got to support your claim that he didn't die on the cross? You know, you've got Muhammad being told by an angel in a cave, you know, 600 years <laughs> later that didn't happen. I've got multiple sources inside and outside the Bible. Mm. I've got probably the greatest, um, you know, one, one of the most best attested facts of ancient history on my side that he did. So I think that goes to the credibility of the Bible, but it also goes to the lack of credibility of the Quran. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennant Extra. We're listening to Lee Strobel, best-selling author. He's written the book, The Case for Christ and The Case for Easter. And let me remind you, we're talking about the reality of the resurrection. We're asking you to join us. Email us, talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. What does the resurrection mean to you? That's the question, and tell us what the resurrection means to you. Talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Lee, uh, let's, uh, picking up on what you said about yeah. Islam, I want to do a little exercise in comparative religion for sure. a moment. Uh, how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in your mind, set Christianity apart from all other religions, set Jesus across and apart from all other religious leaders, the resurrection uh, makes a difference, doesn't it? It absolutely does, because it authenticates his claim to being divine, to being the unique Son of God. No other historical leader uh, even claims that, and much less being able to back it up by a resurrection. So it really is the linchpin, as I said. And not only that, but there's a, there's a real problem, there's a catch-22 with the Quran when it comes to the death of Jesus. Because the Quran claims Jesus is not divine, but he is merely a great prophet. Now, we have got excellent historical data showing that Jesus predicted his eminent and violent death multiple times. He predicted it. Now, if he predicted it and he didn't die a violent and eminent death, 
then he's not a great prophet. Therefore, the Quran is wrong. If he did predict (laughs) it, as we know he did, and he did then get crucified, then the Quran is wrong again because it claims he wasn't crucified. So it's a catch-22. Either way, the Quran suffers a credibility problem when it comes to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Hey, Lee, let's just explore that for a minute because some of our listeners may not be aware. So the angel said, for instance, he is not here, he is risen, as he said. I always thought that was important. Yeah, as he said. So let's think about some of these accounts. I know uh, Jesus said, look, as Jonah was in the belly of that well for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. There's one of those predictions. Exactly. Can you think of others? Yeah, I mean, he, well, he was very clear when he talked about the, um, he even predicted the, um, the destruction of the Jewish temple. Yes. Uh, and no stone would remain on top of the other and so. Uh, I mean, this is this is. He said, no one can take my life. I lay it down, and I'll take it back again. Exactly. And and as you mentioned, the Jonah, I mean, there are multiple cases in which he predicted it. And, and, you know, that goes to the credibility of the Quran. It can't win. It's in a catch-22. And and consequently, uh, you know, as I look at that and say to my Muslim friends, you know, this is why, one of the reasons why I'm not a Muslim. I I Mm. think the credibility historically points to the resurrection of Jesus, his death on the cross and his bodily resurrection from the dead. Um, and, and, you know, as you say, what difference does it make? Well, my goodness, if he is divine, then it changes everything, because he's not merely a great prophet. He is, he is the um, divine um, Son of God who doesn't just make suggestions to us, but who speaks um, for us in a divine sense, and, and we would be wise to, to conform our lives and our ethics and our morality and our character to the teachings that he provided. Lee, one final question. We're asking our listeners to email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. What does the resurrection mean to you? And as we prepare to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, I'm going to ask you that question. What does the resurrection mean to you in your personal walk with Christ? Well, you know, because Jesus conquered the grave, uh, he tells me that I can conquer the grave, too. Mm. Because he has returned from the dead... He says he has opened the door of heaven for all of his followers, and therefore we can trust him when he says that um, no one comes to the Father but through him, but that if we come to him in repentance and faith, uh, we can have a relationship with him during our lifetime that's the greatest joy of our lives, and then to spend eternity with him forever in heaven. I mean, he and he alone has the credibility to make those claims. And because the resurrection is true, he's alive today. It means I can interact with him. It means I can talk with him. It means he can guide my life. It means that uh, I can have security in my salvation. Uh, All of it stems back to the resurrection. I'm so glad that you're spending the time this week to talk about the reality of the resurrection. Mm. You know, it's not some mystical, you uh, you know, legend from ancient times. It is an historic reality. And because he lives, we will... Uh, live uh, with him forever in heaven. Lee Strobel, author of The Case for Christ, The Case for Easter. Lee, we hope to have you back soon. God bless you. Thanks so much. Have a great Easter. All right, folks. Dr. Del Bach coming up next. And uh, though some people will say, all right, you quoted all this scripture. But how do we know that scripture is true and authentic and reliable? Was that just manufactured later on uh, by the church? They wanted to promote Jesus as God. We're going to bring in an expert, Dr. Daryl Bach, coming in to talk about the historical reliability of the documents that record the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's Jerry Johnson Live with Pennant Extra. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. The Apostle Luke writes in Acts 1-3, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. Are there evidences, indeed evidences, for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? This is the reality of the resurrection week here on Jerry Johnson Live and KCBI. In fact, if you go to kcbi.org, you can listen to all of these interviews we've been doing with these New Testament scholars and theologians about the reality of the resurrection. And we're asking you to be a part of this. Email us, talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com, and we're asking you a very personal and practical question. What does the resurrection mean to you? We got an email today. There's one of them right here that says, freedom. One word, freedom. The resurrection means freedom. What does it mean to you? Give us uh, a contact. Give us that email, talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Well, I read a scripture. Our previous guest quoted a lot of scripture, and uh, there are many scriptures which talk about the resurrection, but there are some people out there today who uh, would say, well, how do we know those scriptures are true or reliable? With us to talk about it, an expert in these kinds of questions, Dr. Daryl Bach, a frequent guest here on Jerry Johnson Live. He's research professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome back, Dr. Bach. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Bach, let's go right to that question. There are a lot of people say, well, you're making a circular argument. You're arguing the resurrection uh, is true because it's in the Bible, and you're, you're presupposing that the Bible is true. Now, I don't mind confessing that I do believe the Bible. Mm-hmm. I am a but uh, there is a philosophical question, an apologetics kind of a question. How do we know that these biblical accounts of the resurrection are trustworthy and reliable? You've, you've studied this. Let's talk about it. Well, I think we can work backwards. Let's start with the Apostle Paul. We um, hear someone who fought the Christian faith for, uh, at, its, at its initiation and then came to realize that the resurrection had taken place because he had a vision of the risen Christ and responded to that preaching. What caused him to do that? Let's work backwards a little further. If you actually look at the story and you ask, how does this fit culturally? You really have two alternatives. One is is that they made up the story, that they put something that really didn't happen there, or it really happened. And and it's basically about that simple. Well, let's look at the case uh, for making it up. If you were to make up this story, the first place, the first question to ask is, why would women be the first witnesses at the tomb? Because in the first century, women, uh, this is not politically correct at all, but women were not able to be witnesses at a court of law. What do you think that's him? <laughs> and, and they're not mentioned for in the first Corinthians account, for instance. And that's probably why, because because they didn't have they didn't have cultural evidentiary value. And so, hmm. what happens is is that in all, the accounts are very clear that women were at the tomb. So here you are. You're going to make up a story. You're trying to convince the culture of a difficult idea. The Greeks did not believe in a resurrection. So you're going to try and convince the culture of a difficult idea, and the way you're going to do it is you're going to start off with witnesses who don't count as witnesses, okay? Wow. That just is not very credible. So it, the, it becomes what we call in critical scholarship the criteria of embarrassment. There's an embarrassing detail here that doesn't fit culturally, and the only way to explain its being there is because it was there. 
It's true. That's right. <laughs> exactly right. Now, mm. let's let's ask another question. Let's assume that we were going to work with the resurrection and we were, again, going to create this story um, just to get Jesus alive and to say that he's alive because we're really disappointed that he was crucified. We want the movement to live on. <laughs> well, the way most movements live on is that they just perpetuate the teaching. You know, they don't they don't they don't bring back the founder. Right. So uh, so what happens in this particular case is, is that you could say you could have said with complete Jewish precedent that Jesus Christ would be raised at the end time judgment with everyone else. And he was going to run the judgment. You didn't have to have him raised within three days. Mm. It's completely unprecedented to have a resurrection take place in Judaism in the midst of history. So where did this change or this mutation on the Jewish belief come from? It had to come from somewhere, because if you had made it up, you could have saved yourself a lot of trouble. You wouldn't have to prove that Jesus was around. You just could do what we might call the delay scenario. He'll show up one day. He'll show up at the end along with everybody else. But that isn't what the early church preached. What the early church preached was that Jesus Christ was raised after three days. He was raised in the midst of history, and we actually saw who he was. And then there's the there's another point. I didn't think about this in the list, but I've added it, and that is how many of you, if you were doing a PR you know, promotion, would say, you know, the apostles, they didn't get it. They weren't, you know, here Jesus told them he's going to be raised from the dead, but they really didn't believe he was going to be raised from the dead until they were convinced. It would be a little bit like taking you out as president of Criswell and saying, you know, you really don't believe in your school, all right? <laughs> and we're going, to, we're going to PR that way. We're going, to, we're going to, you really don't believe in the school, but you became convinced at one That's point. That's an embarrassing detail. That, that is, all the it's another embarrassing detail. More or less had forsaken Jesus or given up or given in and, and, they were radically changed. That's exactly right. So so all these surprises in the story indicate to us that there was something very unusual that brought this change. You know, Peter went from being a very uh, timid figure in the three denials to being willing to speak up for Jesus at Pentecost. Wow. And that's in a, that's in the space of a couple of months. In fact, he he got to the point where when he was crucified for his own faith, because he believed in the resurrection, uh, he said he wasn't worthy to die in the same way that Jesus did. So what we hear from church tradition is he was crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die the same way mm. that his Savior did. So transform life. All right. I have some questions about just why you think this happened, Dr. Bach. First of all, the women question. Uh, for uh, Why did Jesus appear first to the women? Well, I do think it's an important element of the Christian faith to say that the gospel is for everybody. Mm. And so to take people who are in kind of a category of not being fully viewed as fully uh, human like a male, and that was often the case mm-hmm. in the culture, and to give them the privilege of being the first to testify to this did say something about the worth of women in the creation. And so I, I think that is a major reason. I also think that the women had a sense of uh, continued devotion to Christ. You know, they were going to the tomb to really honor him and to honor his death. And in a sense, God is is honoring this continued devotion that these women had, that they are the first to get to see uh, to see the risen Jesus. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Our guest is Dr. Daryl Bach. He's research professor of New Testament studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, Dr. Bach, you've just written a, a book, Dethroning Jesus, Popular Culture and the Quest to Unseat the Biblical Christ. Mm. Now, I want to ask you this question. Um, where does the resurrection factor in to the theme of that book? Because 
Isn't it necessary, actually, for people to debunk the resurrection or to try to if they are going to dethrone Jesus? Yes. Um, and in fact, one of the chapters deals with, you know, we had the a uh, year ago the uh, Jesus tomb story, which claimed that we had found Jesus's bones and, you know, and that he wasn't really bodily raised from the dead. And there was an attempt to claim that this didn't undercut the Christian faith because Jesus could have been raised as a spirit and left yes. his bones behind. But actually... The New Testament teaches a bodily resurrection, mm. a physical resurrection, that when God goes to restore the creation, when he goes to restore us, he restores us whole. He doesn't restore us in part. He restores the creation whole. He doesn't restore us in part. And so this is a very important teaching. It also comes right out of Judaism. The Jewish expectation was of a physical resurrection. I think we've discussed on this show before uh, Second Maccabees. It's not a normal book that we cite, but uh, Second Maccabees in the intertestamental period what's called the Second Temple Jewish period, in which seven sons are, are being executed one after another during the Maccabean War, the, the Jewish fight to preserve Judaism two centuries before Christ. And in this account, uh, we get the third son offering his hands and his tongues and basically says, you can have these because one day God is going to give them back to me, mm. which is a pretty clear picture of physical resurrection. They believed in a bodily resurrection. That's right. Now, it isn't the same exact body as we have because right. obviously Jesus was able to do things that he couldn't that he couldn't do physically as a human being when he was when he was incarnate on the earth i mean coming through doors and that kind of stuff but but it still is a physical resurrection it's a it's a transformation of who we are in the entirety of our person and the resurrection is important for a second reason you know lee talked about it in personal terms it means that i'm going to be raised and i can have an ongoing life with the living god but the second reason the resurrection is important should not be forgotten and that is that it it tells us where, who Jesus is and where he went. Where did Jesus park after the resurrection? Now, you normally don't think about Jesus parking, but I try to tell people, think about this for a second. The resurrection tells us, as all the creeds say, that Jesus ended up at the right hand of the living God. And so this means that Jesus is at the side of the Father, and the picture is of this I and the Father are one, working together, working out salvation, so Jesus can send the Spirit, which is and supplies the new life that we have when we're born again, when we respond to the gospel. And as a result, we not only know that we're going to live together one day, but we actually know the position of Jesus Christ as a result of his life and ministry. That's good. That's very good. <laughs> you know, uh, we talk about the power of the resurrection, and we focused on that somewhat yesterday, the power for my life, uh, the power over sin. But also, uh, talk, Dr. Bach, about the future, uh, eschatology, and what the resurrection means uh, with regard to our hope for Jesus' second coming. Well, there is a hope for a second coming, which means that we will live together with God. We will be in unbroken fellowship with God. You know, I like to say, in all honesty, that we tend to sell the gospel short in our preaching a lot of times by talking about the gospel simply being for forgiveness of sins. But in fact, all forgiveness of sins does is clear the slate and make it possible for us to enter into an unbroken relationship with the living God that lasts forever and ever. And it is the length and the duration and the quality of that life that actually is the gospel story. Not just that I'm avoiding something, but I'm actually receiving something precious as a result of what Jesus Christ has done. All right, we're going to finish this when we come back. Dr. Bach has written a book, a commentary on the book of Acts, and I'm really going to ask him, what we're missing today in the apostolic preaching that you find in the book of Acts, um, comparing today's preaching to first century Christian preaching. It may surprise you, even in evangelical churches, what is missing. 
It may connect with Easter this Sunday. This is Jerry Johnson Live with Pennedexter. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. The resurrection means salvation, forgiveness, hope, and the crux of Christianity to me. What great Bible scholar said that? Adele Beers, actually. That's uh, one of you out there. <laughs> We're asking you uh, to be a part of this discussion. The reality of the resurrection. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean to you? Send us your email, talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. We'll share that this week. Talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. What does the resurrection mean to you? We're talking about the reality of the resurrection. And you can get these great interviews if you'll go to kcbi.org. Yesterday, Hank Hennegraff. Today, Lee Strobel, Dr. Daryl Bach. Got Michael Yusuf coming on tomorrow. We've already interviewed Dr. Richard Bauckham. You'll want to hear that interview. It's a very good. Uh, ben Witherington, we've already done that interview. We're waiting to uh, share that with you on Friday. Don't miss these interviews. It's really exciting and thrilling. Our guest today, again, Dr. Daryl Bach, who uh, teaches over at Dallas Theological Seminary, research professor of New Testament studies. Dr. Bach, you've written this book on Acts, commentary on Acts. You know, I'm a Baptist. I'm an evangelical. Uh, we hope, we pray that most of our preachers are preaching the cross and the blood. And we're known for that as evangelicals, stressing the gospel, the death of Christ. Now, I'm wondering... Are we light on the resurrection? I'm wondering if we're light on other themes, the apostolic preaching. What do you find in the book of Acts? How are we measuring up today to that model, that pattern? Well, we've we set the table, and we've got, uh, you know, our fork and our spoon and our knife there, and we got the plate in front of us, but sometimes I wonder if we've got the meal and the plate. That's good. And what I mean by that is, is that, yes, uh, the forgiveness of sins is very, very important. It's central to the gospel. You can't get to the gospel without the washing that is represented by the death of Jesus Christ, the picture of the covering sacrifice. But all that does is make the rest of the gospel possible. Mm. And what I mean by that is, is that the good news is not that I'm avoiding something. I like to tell people that we tend to preach the gospel in one of two ways, both of which sell the gospel a little short. One is what I call Jimmy Cagney theology. It basically is the message, you dirty rat, you shouldn't be doing that. And we're trying to convince people, you know, that they're sinners. And, 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 
and the gospel's not negative. The gospel is an invitation. And then the other example I like to give, this is for the under-30s out there, is what I call the Matrix gospel. That's right. when the main character is doing nothing but dodging bullets. And we suggest that the gospel is about avoiding something. It's about avoiding going to hell. You know, if you died today, would you be assured that you would be going to heaven or something like that? And the idea is, I don't want to go to hell. And when we, when we do that with the gospel, we cut short the fact that the real good news is that I, am in, I have had a restored relationship with the living God, that he has taken the initiative of and the commitment to restoring, and that God has, brings me into that relationship by his grace, and I am locked in a relationship with him forever and ever because of his goodness and his grace. That's one thing that shows up in the Acts. The other thing that shows up in Acts is the idea of Jesus' exaltation, not merely the fact that he's raised from the dead and the tomb was empty, but as I've already mentioned, where he ended up. He ends up at the side of the Father. He and the Father work together in salvation. So he goes to the side of the Father to receive the Spirit and to pour it out on God's people so that God is able to come into our lives and make possible that relationship. You know, in John 17, it says, this is eternal life that they know the Father and that they know the Son. And the idea here is that it's eternal not just in duration but in quality. It comes from eternity. It involves eternity. And so from that sense, that that I really think that what Acts highlights is the who I'm connected with and the privilege of being connected to that who, that great who, the one who sits at the right hand of the Father, with the Father, with the Spirit, and and the initiative that God has taken to make this all possible. I think we I, I think we tend to serve yogurt at that meal instead of a real steak dinner all sometimes. Right. All right, so Peter, Stephen, Paul, they preached the resurrection, the ascension, and Jesus at the right hand of the Father. You know, isn't that just like our human nature to sort of push away the heart of the the matter, the, mm-hmm. really the main course of mm-hmm. that meal? Uh, you know, there are the skeptics today. There are certainly skeptics of, uh, skeptics about the claims of Christ and the resurrection, and there were skeptics, uh, skeptics even back then. And one of the arguments was that the body was stolen. Mm-hmm. So we've got an emailer who says uh, talks about this and says, when the writers of the Gospels pen the fact that the burial clothes were in the tomb, it completely dispels this argument argument that the body was stolen. Ray and Richardson asked this question, who in their right mind would unwrap a corpse before stealing it? <laughs> yeah, they must have been pretty confident no one was going to bug them. But anyway, it's, it's uh, you know, there are lots of theories about what is going on. And, and one of the sad things I think about our world today is that we uh, embrace oftentimes, many people do, a very naturalistic worldview that shuts God out. There's a wonderful, long, difficult book called a Secular Age by Charles Taylor. It won the Templeton Prize in Religion a year ago, in which he talks about how people used to believe in what they called a porous creation, where, where there was an exchange between the personal God and individuals in the creation of back and forth. And pores, you know, enable you to breathe in your body to control its temperature and to survive. And I kind of think that what we've done to the world today is by closing out the pores and, and removing them, we're suffocating to death spiritually. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so I look at this and and I go, you know, something very unusual happened that day in Jerusalem. Uh, some women went to a tomb expecting to, to walk in and anoint a dead body in mourning. 
and they walked away. I bet they left their spices behind them. <laughs> they they walked away and and went and told the disciples that Jesus was raised from the dead and the tomb was empty. They thought that these were a bunch of hysterical women. That is, the apostles did originally, and then eventually they became convinced themselves. And because God gave a visible clue as to what he was about and showed us who Jesus Christ was and where he parked, we can know that we have access to eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's good. You know, we read in First Peter that we have been begotten again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Dr. Bach, in closing, I'm going to ask you in 30 seconds the question I'm asking all these emailers, what does the resurrection mean to you? Well, in some, it means new life. It means new life, not just for me, but a new life that God cared enough to give that he took the initiative to give it. You know, if God forgives us the great debt of sin and then brings us into his own family, he really has done something more spectacular than if he came in and paid off our mortgage so that we wouldn't have a house payment. If that were to happen, I guarantee you we'd tell people about that bank. And so my take is is that God has forgiven us and he's given us new life and we have something wonderful to share and a wonderful invitation to offer people to be reconciled to the living God. Donald Gray Barnhouse used to say, the cross is the payment and the resurrection is God's receipt. And that is that we know that sin debt has been paid. Jesus Christ is risen indeed. Dr. Daryl Bach, thank you for being with us today. Folks, this is the reality of the resurrection week here on Jerry Johnson Live. Go to kcbi.org. You can hear this interview again. Lee Strobel yesterday, Dr. Hank Kennegraff. Also coming up tomorrow, Dr. Michael Youssef. We've got uh, Ben Witherington. We've got Richard Balkum. We've got some leading preachers and scholars. You join us. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.